Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray for another big interview. Treaders, who have we got? Well, I've got a superstar, Monty. His name is Kyle Chalmers. He's one of the nation's most accomplished and recognisable sports people. He's established himself as Australia's golden boy in the pool. Born in Port Lincoln in South Australia, he became a household name by winning the gold medal in the 100-metre men's freestyle final in the 2016 Rio Olympics as an 18-year-old, in addition to two bronze medals in the relays. Further domination followed in the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, where Kyle won four gold medals and one silver to add to an impressive medal haul. But after overcoming serious injury concerns in 2020, he then again returned to the pool ahead of the 2021 Tokyo Olympics to claim silver in an inspired performance. Kyle won three more gold medals in the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham to consolidate his status as the most dominant Australian male swimmer of his generation. In 2021, the swimming superstar headlined Amazon's prime original docu-series, Head Above Water, and has continued to be the public face of several advertising campaigns for some of the country's most recognisable brands, including Optimum Nutrition, Sam Remo and Wall. Thanks for having me on here. I think uh, you clearly know a whole lot more about me than I know about myself. I think uh, a few of those stats you read out I'd completely forgotten about. So thank you. That's what happens when you're achieving a fair bit. So where you're at today right now in terms of your training program and focus, what's next? Uh, yeah, just building back into it. So we had the World Championships at the end of last year uh, in Melbourne. And um, for me, I got a couple of weeks off over Christmas and New Year's, which was nice. So I headed back to Port Lincoln with the family and Caught up with a heap of mates and then, uh, yeah, slowly building back into it now. So for me, got world championships in Fukuoka in Japan in July. Uh, so it's all just kind of preparing for that at the moment. So the world championships long course this year. But um, for me, it's 18 months time is the Olympic Games again. And that's probably the main target and what my mind's set on. Now, before we get into uh, everything to do with your career and where you're at and where you're heading, maybe let's start by turning the clock right back. Um, so you're a young lad growing up in Lincoln, as you mentioned. Uh, your old man, Brett, played for Port and the Crows in the AFL. What were your hopes and dreams in those early years? For me, definitely footy. Uh, it always was footy. Um, I think as I slowly get older now, my footy dreams are slowly starting to dwindle, which is nice. But uh, it was always the plan was to go go play footy. And then when I started swimming professionally, it was kind of, I'll go back to footy. But for me, <clears throat> early on, obviously having an old man that played AFL footy and watching Treaders on the TV every weekend at that stage probably definitely inspired me to play, play AFL. And I think, you know, every young boy's dream, especially in South Australia, is probably to play AFL. And country boy's dreams definitely is to play AFL. So... That's where, where my aspirations lied. All right. So how does a country boy who wants to play AFL end, in a, end up in a swimming pool 50 metres long and sprinting as fast as they can in the world? 
I know it's very unfortunate, isn't it? It would have been a whole lot nicer to be on the MCG kicking goals. But um, for me, yeah, I think, I guess I got kind of noticed that I had a little bit of talent from a young age of swimming. I started, uh, we had to do a bit of compulsory swimming in our physical education at school. And um, the Port Lincoln swimming coach kind of noticed that I could swim and uh, invited me out to, um, I guess, the school swimming carnival at that stage, maybe as a nine or 10-year-old, and got selected to come across to Adelaide for Sapsaza, and then from Sapsaza got picked on the state team, and then swimming started to kind of take over a little bit. So it kind of became, you know, my secondary sport behind footy, and for me at that stage it was, well, I can stay fit during the summer um, for footy season when that comes around because, again, that was the most important thing to me and moved to Adelaide in 2012, um, you know, obviously better better education over here, better uh, sporting opportunities. Dad got a job transfer, so it all kind of aligned that we came to Adelaide and still was playing a fair bit of footy and uh, started making Australian junior team swimming, um, but still footy was the dream. 2015... Um, Went across to Sydney. So at that stage, I was probably swimming maybe five or six times a week, maybe doing three or four footy trainings a week and playing footy. And um, went across to Sydney, made the World Championships team uh, for swimming to go to Kazan that year as a, I think I'm about the second youngest ever to uh, represent Australia in the male swimming. So was unexpected to make that team and then came back to Adelaide, played a game of footy, cracked the bone in my wrist, did the ligament to my ankle in the same game. And for me, the decision was made then and there that, Swimming was going to be my focus because I was going to get paid a little bit of money. And uh, as a 17-year-old, it was easier to make the decision to get 20 grand that year than to, uh, than to try play footy. It's, you keep bringing up footy. It seems you are really struggling and even still are struggling to give, up, to give up on footy. It just keeps coming up. I think for me, it's probably one of the harder decisions I ever had to make. I think, you know, like I said, it was my dream growing up. It's something that I always wanted to do was play footy and you know, the opportunities started to come there where I was, um, you know, at Glenelg. And then um, my last game of footy, at, uh, I played at PAC. That was the game I did my – or cracked the bone in my wrist. They had the Crow Scouts out there and starting to get a little bit of interest down that way. And um, so, yeah, having to make that call was definitely a challenging one. Now, we talk about swimming from the interest of the sport, right? The mainstream perspective, you're the biggest stars during the Olympics and Commonwealth Games, but it can the interest of it can, from the public's perspective, can disappear a little bit between those times. Um, how do these peaks and troughs impact the funding and sponsorship and your interest in terms of funding and sponsorship in the um, for and and for other athletes? Yeah, I think it's a very challenging one. I think um, swimming, you know, Commonwealth Games is big, but the Olympics is huge, and we do so well at the Olympics. So sponsors want to jump on board, the public want to jump on board. Uh, everyone knows who you are. You're kind of the hot name at that time, that point in time. And I think for me. After 2016, I definitely struggled because I had all these amazing opportunities. You know, I was flying overseas for photo shoots, getting noticed overseas for the first time. Uh, I was in the back of a, a ute on AFL Grand Final day and kind of had, you know, some of the, the big stars of the AFL world coming up to me and asking me for photos and, uh, you know, had all these amazing sponsorship opportunities. And then I guess as the Olympics gets further and further away or in the past, uh, everything starts to, like you said, dwindle away a little bit until the next Olympic cycle starts. So for me, I definitely struggled with that kind of going from, you know, sitting really high as a young person, as an 18-year-old, and then it all kind of comes crashing down again. But I think as I've got older, I've kind of, you know, had a bit of experience in that now and understand that that's how it happens and um, know that that's what to expect. So for me, I know that 
like I said, it's 18 months until the next Olympic Games. Sponsors will start to jump on board again, uh, probably towards the end of this year, so that they're with me through that Olympic cycle, and then they'll be uh, they'll be gone as soon as they came on. It's such an interesting space, but I mean, maybe tell us a little bit more about you know winning Olympic gold as an 18 year old. You talked about the peaks. Were you prepared for everything that comes with it? So in terms of the spotlight and the opportunities and 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 everything outside of the pool. No, definitely not. I think for me, I'd had a little bit of success as a junior athlete, but for me going into 2016, we had Cameron McAvoy who was the, uh, you know, he was half a second faster than anyone else in the world at that stage. And I think, uh, you know, a clear favorite to try and win that 100 freestyle. And for me, I was the young eight, or I was 17 at that stage, just about to turn 18 year old, but had no sort of media um, coverage or any sponsorship deals at that stage. So I was able to just fly under the radar. And, you know, before I went, I was able to kind of go and do as I pleased, you know, go out to restaurants or whatever and not get noticed and kind of hang out with my mates and probably stuff around a little bit. But then I came back, a you know, national hero um, six weeks later and, you know, getting stopped for photos and signatures and, um, you know, people just wanted to stop and congratulate you or talk to you about swimming and like the sponsorship stuff that comes with it and all these things that you have no preparation or um, there's no one that can really teach you how to prepare yourself for that, I think. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, that's for sure. I think, you know, in the Olympic Village, you're in such a tight bubble. Um, you're a small fish in a big pond, really. And then you you don't actually know what you achieve until you actually come home and see the uh reception you get from from your country and um you know i got off the plane plane in sydney uh after 2016 and the the prime minister was there and you know they had a band singing and like all the big dogs in the world are there and i just yeah, it was a crazy little time for me and something that i definitely had to find my feet and get used to now i guess uh, i know speaking to dad at one stage you you were looking at finding a manager and swapping a few managers and then you know, you'd gone from being totally under the radar, as you say. But did you cash in on those commercial opportunities enough at that time? And what do you remember of it? And was it a learning process as you went as well? Yeah, definitely a learning process, I think. I think I probably um, could have capitalised a lot more on it. For me, I went straight overseas, so I kind of missed that probably Olympic bubble a little bit because I chose to go over and do some photo shoots and whatnot and have a bit of a holiday uh, in Europe. Um, and then get straight back into swimming. So then I kind of pushed everything aside to start focusing on swimming. So for me, I thought, oh, well, swimming's my life now. I'll kind of push everything else aside and focus solely on swimming. Whereas if I was a smart businessman, I probably would have cashed in on the opportunities that I had offered to me at that stage. Um, you know, I think I was lucky to have a few sponsors jump on board. Um, but I think I just struggled. I didn't have, you know, South Australia hasn't had a very rich history of swimmers. Um, and you know, my coach was all new, it was all new to my coach as well, having a successful swimmer and none of us probably really knew how to deal with it and, um, what we should and shouldn't do. So for me, uh, yeah, definitely struggled through that period and got a manager on board, which was good. And, uh, yeah, they helped me along the way. And, uh, now I'm with a management company that I'm very happy with and, um, have a very close relationship with, and I know that they, they work really hard for me as well, which is good. So. Uh, that makes my life a whole lot easier. But at that stage, I was so raw and had no, none of us had any idea what was going on. I think I was lucky to have a father that had played AFL football at the highest level and had a bit of 
sporting knowledge to to advise me and help me a bit. But um, but yeah, I was kind of trying to do it myself as an eighteen year old, I guess. You mentioned a couple of your learnings through that process. I mean, you know, as a older guy, um, you know, in your in your mid twenties, but with a whole heap of wisdom now, what would be a couple of the the tips that you would give to say another emerging Olympic prodigy who may be preparing to face similar things to what you faced back then? I think for me, my biggest one would be just having some time out of the pool to probably reset and really realize what you've just achieved. For me, I got off the plane in Sydney and I was back into training the next day and then I was racing overseas and stuff, you know, a month later. Um, So for me, I'd probably advise them to kind of ride the high and uh, wait until they're really ready to get back in the pool because it's such a long window in between Olympics. Obviously, it was five years for us this time. So biggest bit of advice is just, yeah, probably um, that so you don't burn yourself out really. Like obviously, burnout's pretty big in a sport that uh, that demands so much of you. You know, we're in the water, we're at the pool probably 50 hours a week, 50 weeks of the year. So the life revolves around swimming. But um, if you're able to kind of stand up for yourself and say, hey, I need a few weeks off to be able to, you know, spend some time with my family and friends and reset. And yeah, I need to do these sponsorship opportunities because it's good for my branding and good for me going forward. And, uh, you know, prioritize those things a little bit more would be my, my biggest uh, bit of advice, I think. Now, you mentioned that brand. Um, how strategic do you think you know, you've been um, building around that? You know, people talk the big tuner, the Port Lincoln boy, the country boy. Now, it's almost like, you know, you've, you've, you're embracing, you know, your look with tattoos, you've got that that a bit of artistry about you and some call you bad boy swimming like how do you think um your brand has evolved in that or has it just become real it's just become real for me now i think um i'm at a point now where i probably no longer care what people think if uh if i'm happy rocking the earrings and the white mohawk and tattoos then uh and that's what's making me feel confident in myself and making me swim fast and that's all that really matters at the end of the day and i know that Heaps of people jump on board, and I think for me, I look at it. Swimming's a um, swimming's a sport where we all walk out and we have a, a cap and goggles on, and no one really gets to know the athlete, or everyone looks the same. You don't. There's no one that really stands out, or is so. For me, having the tattoos and a bit of a, a bit of personality, um, I think helps me kind of stand out from the rest and just grow my brand a little bit in that way. But you know, tattoos is something that I love. My best mate's a tattoo artist. My brother's right into it, and. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, chicks get their nails done or whatever. It's my form of meditation and, and uh, doing something for myself. And you talk about, has that just happened over time? Do you think maturity's happened over time? Or have you just, you spent probably the first part of your career worried about what people think or what I should do or what, what is the norm? Yeah, I think definitely early on I'd worry about, you know, keeping everyone happy or what would sponsors think or, you know, what's my family or coach going to think if I do this? Whereas now I'm like, I'll push the boundaries and see what happens. Like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, put a nose ring in, see what it's like. Oh, I don't think that's a cool idea. Take it out. Get a mate to push the earrings through the ears, whatever. Do some stick and poke tattoos or get my mates to tattoo me just for a laugh. Like, I don't, I just sort of had a point where I don't really care about those sorts of things. And if it's um, making me happy and uh, having a bit of a laugh, then that's all that really matters. I think uh, a happy swimmer is a fast swimmer. Yeah. And I think the, um, you know, even if you're not intentionally doing it, I think brands are also attracted to that authenticity in the same way that that fans are. I mean, how do you think through your relationship to partners and uh, sponsors? Like, like, what do you look for? Um, what are you interested in? Who do you want to work with? Who do you not want to work with? 
I think for me, I want to work with brands that actually want to work with me. Like they're they they're the ones that come to me and go, hey, like you know, we see you being the face of our brand for the next you know three or four year cycle. Uh, we want to make you kind of our main person, and we're going to do this and that for you. Um, so they're the brands that I'd look for rather than the companies that come and go, hey, you know, it's the Olympics in a year's time. We're an Olympic brand ambassador. We'd love to you know, support you. Like it's, they're, they're nice and they're good to work with as well. But obviously I want the brands that I'm going to be able to have a really good relationship. Uh, I feel like they're working for me as much as I'm working for them. And it makes me more proud to represent them and proud to, I guess, you know, endorse their uh, products and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like having that relationship so important. I've had quite a few sponsors where I haven't been able to form that relationship and uh it hasn't worked for me and it hasn't worked for them so i think it's just important to have to form a healthy relationship put yourself forward and speak to them get to know them and uh and do your best to to work for them and what they're trying to achieve and i think it's something that i really struggled with early on was you know social media is such a massive part of uh of having sponsors nowadays and for me i was terrible at doing instagram and terrible at doing you know you get a you get an iPhone and it's like, oh, we'll try and advertise this iPhone. So I just take a photo, put on Instagram and be like, oh, I'll buy this, buy this iPhone type thing. And sponsors would never be overly happy with that. So now I've kind of got my management team helping me and I've got a guy that comes on and takes all my photos for me and kind of does it all for me, which has made sponsors happier and me a whole lot less stressed. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, you, you talk about those partnerships and you mentioned earlier in the chat that you found sponsors wanted to be 18 months out from the Olympics. Have you been able to leverage that with your management group to say, hey, anyone I partner with, I'm partnering with for a long-term um, Olympic cycle. So your ability to pay the bills doesn't go, boom, oh, just because we're out of uh, an interesting period in swimmings well, from the, the commercial side. Definitely. I think for me, I've got a few key sponsors that have been with me for a long time now. So like San Remo, Arena's a long-term deal that's come on after they kind of took over from Adidas, which I was with for five years. And then, yeah, and then Optimum Nutrition's another one that I've been with for quite a while. And, um, you know, there'll be a few more that come on over the next little period. But for me, it's, yeah, like you said, it's trying to sign those longer-term deals that, uh, yeah, sets me up a little bit more helps me better in life financially. You know, like swimming is one of those sports that you have to swim well to get paid. We don't have a contract with Swimming Australia where it's like we're, we're signing a five-year deal worth, you know, 400K a year or something like some of the professional sports where if you swim well, you get paid that year, you get paid, you know, 30 grand or whatever it is. If you don't swim well, you don't get paid. Um, and if you don't win races, you don't get paid. So it can be, you know, very challenging if you get an injury and are unable to swim or whatnot, you kind of lose lose everything. So for me, sponsors is hugely important in being able to yeah, fund myself and fund the lifestyle that I need to have to be able to succeed. We've talked about how, you know, you can go about intentionally um, building your brand. But what's interesting is, particularly for athletes, a brand can be put on you as well, often whether you like it or not. Um, we've seen that tested even with your relationship with the media. How have you seen the media's role in in trying to define you and perhaps even other athletes over the journey? Yeah, I guess for me, I definitely stood up against the media a lot last year more so because it was massively impacting me and affecting me mentally. But I just worry about the next generation of athletes that come through and I'd hate for it to happen to the the next swimmer that comes through. And I kind of just wanted to make a bit of a stand against, hey, this is this is not okay and this is the impact that you guys 
have on me and my teammates and what you're doing is not okay. So for me, it was important, I think, to stand up and kind of try and make a bit of a bit of a stand against that. But um, if you stand up against them, uh, you're in trouble. If you don't stand up against them, they say whatever they want, you're in trouble either way. So uh, it was a hard lesson to learn last year for me, I think, having the media kind of turn against me when I've had their, their backing for such a long period of time. But uh, but yeah, it's something that I'm glad that I've been through and something that I know that I've faced and overcome and it's something that won't impact me moving forward. Well, I mean, it's it's a pretty fascinating story. I mean, you're absolutely right. You did you did stand up and, you know, it's been, what, six months or so since, since it all blew up. Um, how do you reflect on it now? Like, I mean, have you, has it had an effect um, on opportunities going forward? Are there any regrets? Or do you you stand pretty strong and um, and pretty happy with how you're able to handle that whole process? Yeah, I think I, I think I have no regrets. Like I think for me, I stood up, um, said what I need to say. It obviously impacted me a massive amount um, to a point where I was like, I don't know whether I want to swim anymore and put myself through this because what's the point? Like, what am I actually getting out of this to to justify this? Like, I didn't get into the sport or get into sport in general to have to deal with something like that. Um, when I'd done nothing wrong, they just kind of decided to target me and try to bring me down to write some stories. So for me, yeah, I would definitely do do it all again, as in stand up for myself and stand up for, you know, not, not only myself, but other athletes that will go through it and are going through it. Um, and, you know, I was still able to stand up and race really well and win Commonwealth titles and break Commonwealth records through that also. So um, yeah, I'm, I am grateful that I have had to go through it now because I feel like by the time Paris goes around, I'll be pretty bulletproof in terms of I've gone through uh, most things athletes have to face in their careers now. Before this interview, I watched the uh, Gian Rooney poolside interview and I think you've got to be commended for your stance. You know, and I've worked in media for a long period of time. It has become clickbait and reality is they were trying to have a crack at you because you someone else didn't now make the team. Like, that's professional sport, you idiots. Like... And the fact yeah. that that becomes a story just tells you where the clickbait of life is right now. But can you take us through a little bit of the the mental health side? Yep. Um, and, and that battle in that period, because is it just overthinking? Is it? Is it? You know, how did it affect you personally in that period? I think for me, yeah, that Gian Rooney interview was the one that really knocked me around massively because I got out of the pool. Uh, you know, that was my first competition back from shoulder surgery. Uh, I just won a national title in my fifth different uh, individual event. Uh, I'd swam a personal best time after shoulder surgery. It was a butterfly, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, 50 butterfly. So I was I was pumped, really, really excited and happy about it all, got out of the pool and not one positive comment came from it. She just dove straight into negative uh, negativity. And for me, Gian's been in the sport for a very long time, so she understands swimming. She understands that, you know, the top two are the people that go to the the major competition, and if you don't, then that's just unfortunate. You try again next year. And, uh, yeah, it kind of sucked that someone that I'd had quite a lot to do with in my time um, dove into that. And I think for me, I, yeah, we'll, we'll, won't stop and speak to Gian or speak on pool deck now because it's just I don't I, – I pay to race in that event, you know what I mean? Like I – my family pay to be in the stands and my grandparents come across to watch that meet. I pay, like I said, to race in that competition. It cost me $30 to race that race and I'm so proud of my achievement and then I get out of the pool and have that kind of happen. Uh, it's just not worth, you know, I have no obligation to stop. So 
Um, but yeah, you know, for me, I then went home to Port Lincoln and all my social media was that was was all, you know, negative interviews or articles, you know, I'd go on Instagram, it's all I'd see, you go on to Facebook, it's all I'd see, people sending me stuff all the time. So for me, it was just mentally very, very fatiguing and exhausting and um, something that I did not want to deal with, you know, like I was so proud of my achievement and I felt like my achievement kind of just got uh, cut down straight away and um, yeah, I found it very challenging to deal with and something that, you know, I probably still building myself back from was is is that situation and incident because it's like well I know that it's going to happen again because I'm going to unfortunately have to race that event again against the same same person and hopefully it's the same result but um I'm going to have to face it again but I feel like I've kind of got it to you know I can I can deal with it a whole lot better now but I think you know for me I was definitely contemplating retirement when that all happened like I, I wrote down a retirement speech and went you know what's what's the point I'm in so much pain with my shoulders at this stage like I've come back from my second shoulder surgery now I'm living in pain you know this has all happened what's the point in doing this I've fought my way back from everything but and then I kind of luckily had you know good mates and good family over in Port Lincoln that sat me down and said well you know if you if you stop then the media wins so uh for me I wanted to stand up and do what I love and I love I do love swimming I love my sport and by memory didn't you deal with it by playing footy again (laughs) I did actually, yeah. That was all. That was always the plan. Though. Um, what did your yeah, coach think of that? Because um, I got when know. I played footy, my coach said, "Don't you go dare water skiing." Yeah, water skiing. But what does the coach think when a best swimmer we've yeah. actually had in Australia's history, and you know, world champion, multiple record holder, Olympic gold medalist, decides to go and pull on the boots on to try and separate my ankle again? Yeah, it wasn't the greatest idea. For, for me, um, I'd planned it a few weeks before because my brother was leaving for the army uh, and he and a, and a few of his mates were flying over to Adelaide to play for Ellison Districts and uh, I had a few mates up there playing and cousins and whatnot. So I went stuff it like, why not play in the B grade? I kind of worked out that the B grade had a pretty good team and they had, you know, 23 or 25 blokes that I could probably sit on the bench and not have to actually run out there. But I think a few of them got hit with COVID so I had to play a whole game. And uh, my coach called me after the after it and was just shattered with me. But and then again, that kicked up a bit of a media stink of me doing it. But you know, for me, that was one of my fondest memories of last year was being able to run out with my brother and a heap of my best mates. And you know, I was standing on one of my mates that I grew up with and just had one of the best days of my life just out there playing footy. Every time the ball came near me, I ran the other way to make sure I didn't get injured. But I had so much fun and you know, have a beer with the boys after the game and. Have a have a couple of snakes at halftime. I thought it was the greatest league. <laughs> if we've learned one thing from this interview, it's that Kyle needs footy. So let him play footy occasionally, and everything's going to be happy. He's going to be happy as Larry, and we're all good. So, but mate, there just to, my coach. that's it. Um, like just to come back to it, um, mate. Some of the some of the media stuff. I mean, some would like the opinion warriors would would argue that oh, you know, it goes with the territory. Some of this stuff. Um, what would you say to that? But also, as part of that, what boundaries do you feel need to be in place between athletes and media, if it's really possible at all, uh, the way things are currently designed? Um, 
I just think that people need to realize that we're humans as well. Like we have hearts, we have feelings, we have emotions. And unfortunately, our lives get put in front of everyone and everyone gets to kind of look in on our lives. And I think everyone thinks that we're these perfect people that don't have any issues or problems um, to deal with. Uh, So I think, you know, people have to just realize that we are, we face the same issues and problems that everyone else does. And, um, you know, I think that... It's hard, like, you know, the media commenting on relationships and stuff like that. It's like, who really cares at the end of the day? Like, why should the media get a say on a relationship when everyone, you know, even the people writing would have been in relationships that have broken down at times or whatnot? Like, why should that be a big story that that goes out there and, you know, tries to drag down a national, you know, at that stage, one of the best, or me, one of the best swimmers, you know, like an, an Emma, one of the best swimmers in Australia and, and Cody, who's doing a great, great things in swimming. Like, why try to create that? environment that's not healthy for us all to be in you know like it just creates that unnecessary team you know whatever like it's just not it's not needed for us uh makes it uncomfortable for us all and makes everyone on the team uncomfortable because people start picking sides and reading into it and you can't avoid it like as much as i try to avoid it it's like people will send it to you you go onto facebook people you'll see something you go on instagram you see something you turn the news on you see something like you just can't actually avoid it as much as it's like my coach will be like, just don't read the articles. It's like, mate, it's not that I'm reading the articles. It's all I see is this shit on my Facebook or whatever. So uh, it is very challenging. And I think um, it just doesn't happen in places like America. You know, they get around their athletes and they want their athletes to be successful and they're so proud of their athletes and what they're doing. And Australia, it's a funny culture. Like we try to cut, cut them down and try and find these little bits of controversy to I don't know, write a story and create a little bit of clickbait. So it's just a very different culture. It's very savage. Do you find the integration of your social media, you now have a voice? And I know it chases you. I know your Instagram chases you. I know the Twitter feed and all that sort of stuff But and Facebook. But do you find now you've got a voice, whereas if you didn't have it, you're waiting for a news reporter to do an interview with you to have an opinion. So you get a, a little bit of element of fight back and control. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, especially over that period, I was so grateful to have Instagram that I could go on and log in and kind of just put my thoughts up and and leave it there. Um, you know, I was able to kind of write what happened and write my opinions. And uh, I was, yeah, like I said, just so grateful that I had that rather than the media kind of releasing whatever they wanted to release and then waiting again to have that opportunity to speak in the media. So Social media has definitely helped in that that, that aspect, I think. Um, but it also gives you such, all the media and everyone such a big uh, look in on your life. Given all of that, would you encourage other athletes to get more proactive in taking control of their own story and their own brand in that regard? Well, yeah, I just think it's important to to be authentic anyway and stand up and speak speak your mind and speak out what you're actually feeling or what you're actually thinking. You know, I think... Um, Athletes, unfortunately, go very robotic. We, we have a lot of media training and we kind of get told what we should and shouldn't say. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of ath- uh, athletes speak and I kind of just get bored because it's the same thing over and over again. Whereas I think if athletes were more so willing to stand up and, yeah, at times it's going to cause a little bit of controversy, I think, or um, might not make you look like the best person ever. But if you're actually being authentic and speaking the truth, then I think people can relate to you more and, you know, I hope I'm just be able, um, people are able to relate to me a whole lot more and just humanize myself a little bit, I guess, um, over this last little period. All right, we'll take you away from the uh, media side of it, the future. 
24 years of age, everyone says that's young. And in an AFL footballer's world, the world is just taking off for you, starting to peak. Well, as a swimmer, um, you're a veteran. How long can you keep swimming for and how long do you want to keep swimming for? I know, it's all downhill for me now, isn't it? I think... Uh, <laughs> Put a fork in him. <laughs> in Tokyo, I was the second oldest person in the, the 100 freestyle final at the ripe old age of 22. So for me... Wow. If I'm able to stand up in the final in Paris, I'll be by far the oldest person in the race. So it's crazy to think that a 26-year-old's one of the older people. Um, but, you know, I made my first team in 2015, so I've been around for a very long time now. Uh, and I think Paris will probably be my last dance. And uh, after that, I think I'll probably move back to Port Lincoln, play, play footy happily where I'm not going to get in trouble for playing footy, probably... Do, a, do some sort of trade that's going to keep me busy and uh, just spend my weekends fishing and living a very relaxed lifestyle. So I'm very looking forward to that and um, counting down the days. So is that a hard – do you reckon that's a hard date or is it a if you're still swimming well and you're still enjoying it, you keep going? Yeah, if I'm still swimming well and enjoy, I think it's enjoying it. I think, I think my mind will give way before my body does now. My body's going pretty good and I think if my mind's still fresh and thinks that it can achieve great things and I'll continue on but – I don't want to be one of those swimmers that goes and just keeps pushing and pushing and ends up being a relay swimmer and then just gradually, you know, progresses out, no longer makes the relays. I want to go out on a high and uh, go out on top. So for me, if I was able to stand up and, and win in Paris, I think that would be a pretty good way to go out. So, um, but you know, the Commonwealth Games is in Australia two years after that. And then Brisbane holds the Olympics in 2032 and I'll be 34 years old. So who knows, maybe I'll uh, make a comeback for that. <laughs> leave the door open. I mean, uh, for, for a lot of athletes, like re retirement comes like a brick wall and they, they tend to struggle with the, with the transition. I mean, even just by our chat, I think you're not that type, that type of athlete. I mean, I think you're pretty keen to, to explore stuff outside of swimming, but how prepared for life after swimming are you? I guess in all areas of life. I think for me, I've had to almost face retirement a few times with shoulder injuries that potentially might not come right, or I've had a few heart surgeries. It's like, well, you know, is this going to is this going to get right? Maybe it's time to start thinking about other things. So, I've kind of had to think about it quite a lot. But for me, I think I'm very set and happy with the idea of you know living a very relaxed lifestyle. I love fishing. I love camping. I love footy, obviously. So for me. If I'm able to get those three things in and, and be a tradie and, uh, you know, just kind of settle back into a pretty relaxed lifestyle after swimming, I'll be very happy. Like I said, swimming's 50 hours a week, 50 weeks of the year. It's a very, very taxing sport on your body and mind. So I'm pretty excited to just live a, live a chilled out lifestyle and, um, yeah, probably build some houses back home in the country with all my mates and have my family around and be real nice. So what trade are you? Chippy by the sound of it? You any good with a nail gun? <laughs> not yet but i will be i will be once i've started so at the moment I haven't been able to practice all that much but i'm sure with a bit of training uh you know i'll have that athlete mindset and lock in on it all right you're nearly done mate we appreciate your time the fast five this is where we just throw quick five fast five questions whatever comes in the air short answers let us know what you've got now if you didn't end up in sport where would you be a tradie <laughs> well, there you go what about um, your go-to song to fire up before a race? Uh, I don't mind some ACDC, actually. So I'd probably go for Hell's Bells, I reckon, or Thunderstruck. That's normally my go-to before I The best athlete you've ever competed against? Caleb Dressel, I think, all round. He's an amazing athlete in and out of the pool. So he's uh, definitely number one. 
What about the weirdest commercial or sponsorship request you've ever had? What comes to mind? I think the one I found the most uncomfortable was I shot a commercial for a bed and I had to kind of just be in my boxer shorts um, pretending to be asleep, having cameras all over me and those I found that quite challenging just having a bed set up in this warehouse um, and yeah, laying in my boxer shorts with heaps of people around me. <laughs> I hope they paid you well. <laughs> Uh, and lastly, the one thing you change about swimming as a sport. I would make it way less old school. I'd say that we'd train a whole lot more professionally in terms of, you know, more recovery, way less kilometres in the pool. You know, I might swim 40 to 50 k's a week and I race 100 freestyle. So for me, <laughs> I think it's just a very backwards sport in that regard. <laughs> There we go. Put him, in, put him in the chair at Swimming Australia. Let's bring some innovation into the sport. It just... Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're a 100-metre swimmer. You're not allowed to swim more than 2Ks. You, you're a 1,500-metre swimmer. You're going to swim to Port Lincoln and back. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> well, Kyle, thanks so much for your time, mate. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it, mate. That was good. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And for all our listeners, there's a stack of great interviews lined up. So make sure you tune in and subscribe to the podcast and keep track of the latest sports deals, details and drama by joining our community at www.thebigdeal.au. Thanks, fellas. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.